0: first and being taken into Common Thread Collective I think was one of the biggest moments of my life where fortune just had favor on me. You know, I was taken from a place that it was taking the passion out of it for me, to be honest, quite honest with you. And that's perfectly alright, but going into Common Thread, the biggest thing I was passionate about was finding attribution, was finding something I really believed in that I could get
1: behind. Welcome to Hot Coffee Cold Beer, I'm your host Brock Hendricks with the LA Lakers, Clippers and Kings. On this podcast, we'll sit down and share a hot coffee or a cold beer with those who have made a name for themselves working inside the highly competitive sports industry. All the content heard today is solely reflective of the independent reporting by Hot Coffee Cold Beer and our team and does not reflect the opinion or feelings of AEG, Staples Center, the LA Lakers, Clippers, Kings or Sparks. Today's guest is Taylor Legese, Managing Partner and Co-Founder of Kinship. Kinship is an influencer marketing agency deeply rooted into the storytelling behind brands and athletes. You'll hear about how Taylor used his time in college athletics as a captain for the UCLA football team as a backboard for sports entrepreneurship. And you'll hear about this combination of skills picked up from being a disciplined Division 1 college athlete, turned athlete marketer, turned entrepreneur, made Taylor's path unique. Taylor is a three-time academic all-conference athlete who uses a perfect combination of sports lessons and business know-how that created his life in sports. Taylor, do you have a hot coffee or cold beer ready to go? I'm ready. I got my Yeti here. Perfect. Like ready to keep it hot or cold, whatever you got in there. Yeah, you'll never know. I like to keep it mystique. We wanted to talk to you specifically because, you know, we talk to a lot of people who work on the event side of athletics, but it's pretty rare to meet somebody on the entrepreneurial side Of athletics and you turned a sports career into a different kind of career in a different way so I'm really excited to share with our listeners kind of how you did this where we'll start is not everybody's lucky enough to have an experience being a division one college athlete but you and your time at UCLA how do you think that prepared you for your life to then walk in the shoes of professional athletes and guide them through their careers
0: yeah that's a great question and just to start off thanks for having me pleasure to be here Yeah, I would say going in to UCLA and being a division one football player, dream come true, 100%. And you kind of go in knowing that it's going to be a lot of work and you're excited for it. You're determined. You want to go to the next level and ultimately play at the highest level um, of professional athletics. But you have no clue of what it actually is going to involve and what it's going to take. So I would say the biggest thing, that I took away from that experience uh, just from my time at UCLA and then taken into and carrying it over into the real, real world and just entrepreneurship and work and the company. Sweat equity and time investment. It's something that was just ingrained in us. You know, there's 365 days in the year and every single one of them entails work for football at that level. Even on the off days, you're expected to do XYZ for recovery, right? And that is all to go towards 12 games. 12 games tops if you're lucky enough to remain uninjured. And so, I mean, that's less than 5% of the days that you train every day for to ultimately play in the game. So I would say sweat, sweat equity and time investment are things that you really got to a place of understanding
1: of, hey, you got to put down this down payment in order to really reap in the long run. Let's get into your path a little bit here, because I'm sure you were at a crossroads when you're about to leave UCLA. You're a fullback, and while you're a team captain, the fullback is kind of the position in football that does all of the dirty work, kind of alluding to what you just mentioned, but doesn't get drafted in high volumes, doesn't get a whole lot of credit. You're not really the hero. So you're faced with a choice. Like, do I pursue a career in athletics, or do I pursue a new path with a lot of uncertainty Kind of guided around athletics. Walk us through your life post football and kind of how we got here today.
0: Well, I think I'd just start by saying, man, I love that I have you fooled. I knew right when I received that C on the jersey, that captain's label, that, you know, the rest of my life that people would be just tricked and deceived that I was some star. I wasn't a star. I was typically two or three on the depth chart at any given position I was at. I was recruited and came in as a safety, went down to a position called kind of mini backer is what they coined it, which was kind of a dime jack linebacker went to fullback played on that side of the ball and just i was just kind of a journeyman when it came to positions at ucla what i learned is you really just got to find your role on the team how are you going to contribute to the greater cause and the mission of winning and finding success as a as a team and so for me that was on special teams so i was a special teams captain i found my role right away my freshman year on punt return punt kickoff and kickoff return and that's really where i made my living so to say, at UCLA. And by sophomore year, they made me a captain of these units, um, and I became a captain the rest of my time at UCLA. Now, there is definitely a place for that sort of player in the football NFL league, but I actually didn't even play my my redshirt senior year because I wanted to pursue work from things that I had grown to really enjoy and love outside of football. During my time at UCLA, I did... Come to an understanding that you know I played with guys like Anthony Barr, Eric Kendricks, Miles Jack, Josh Rosen, Kenny Clark. Like the list goes on. We had some really good guys, especially on the defensive side of the ball, where I really played a lot of my time. And you know when I lined myself up against them, all the mental strength in the world wouldn't make me as good as these guys. So I knew probably my path was going to go a different way. But I did love working with these guys. And I wanted to find a place in the world where I could coexist with them.
1: So how do you make the jump then from, this is a tough decision, obviously, do I stay and play one more year of football or do I get off and get out into the real world? How did you end up at Athletes First?
0: Well, I guess I'll start by saying that I really came to grips with the power of influencer marketing. We'll label this influencer marketing. We can label it as athlete marketing, whatever we want to call it. In college, we actually launched a company called Tonight. It was with two of my teammates, one of them being Kenny Orgioke and then Justin Combs, who was a P. Diddy son that was on our team. And he was a, all three of us came into UCLA at the same time and we're in the defensive back room. And so we really got to know each other really well. And so Tonight was my first look into the power that somebody like Justin Combs had, the clout he had. For people and influence over people to get them to make decisions and get them to convert on behalf of a brand or a product or a company. We actually had, it was a, and it was an events business where we would just throw like, we'd rent out a mansion, throw a little event, have a concert, bring in like product placements from brands. And so it was fully driven and generated through just in social media and him posting about it and him creating content around us. So I would say that definitely, you know, triggered my intrigue around this marketplace. You know, and whether it's athletes, entertainers, whatever it is, people that have influence and that goes across so many different spaces, can really move the needle on behalf of brands and services and products. So that really got me interested um, in pursuing this sort of path post-college. But amidst college as well, I will say that you know a lot of these guys in my locker room, and you understand this this realm, like 1% of these guys go on to play in the NFL. And the majority of them in that locker room don't come from the most privileged backgrounds. You really get to have a lot of heart-to-hearts. And that's the biggest thing that I took away from my experience at UCLA, the camaraderie aspect of it you build such lifelong strong bonds with these guys that you're in the trenches with every day and you hear you know their backgrounds you hear their heart and where they come from and the struggles that they're inevitably going to face if they don't make it to the next level they have all their eggs in this basket and if they don't succeed you know, they don't have much to fall back onto. And so I really wanted to pursue a line of work that would enable me to be on their side, be with them and on their team to try to to try to help them. And so following my last year that I decided to play at UCLA, and you know, my back was given out and I wanted to get to work. I was getting passionate about doing kind of what I'm laying the foundations for, what I'm talking to you about. I went down and lived actually with one of my best friends that was training for the NFL draft, his name was Mike Faithful. He got a shot when Josh Rosen got hurt and he came in and played that second string. He came in and played the first string. And then after that year, when we all graduated, he went down and trained with quarterback guru, quote unquote, Jordan Palmer. And so I actually lived in the house with him and Deshaun Watson right when I graduated and first like made my transition into working at Athletes First. And so that was kind of the transition, man. I really got close with those guys. And then I embarked on my career at A1, where I was really excited to get involved. Now, it didn't end up panning out everything that I dreamed it to be, but I was super excited at that time.
1: What is it like being an athlete? You've just kind of punted on your life as ever pursuing a career in professional athletics. But here you are living in a house with someone who would go on to be a first round draft pick quarterback in Deshaun Watson. Like, is that bittersweet for you? Like, do you have to put your ego at the door for something like that? Or what's going through your head at that moment?
0: At that time, I just like to be around it. You know, again, in college, I think I may had the realization that I wasn't probably going to play at the next level, but I wanted to make the most of the opportunity given to me and play my role as best as I could and contribute to the team as best I could. When living with Deshaun Watson uh, for those couple months, I was just more so observing, I guess. You know, that was a guy that definitely was pursuing greatness and he had one mindset narrow focus zoom focus and he had his eye on the prize and so i really just liked being around kind of the life he was leading because that man was on a mission i think being around guys like him though was the same experience i had of being around guys like anthony barr kendrick's kenny clark miles jack those kind of guys where and it ultimately leads to you know me in the workforce just having an understanding for these guys because ultimately obviously in the line of work that i'm in we're Typically, tapping on these guys and leveraging them on behalf of brands to, you know, calling on them to do content shoots, appearances, signings, whatever it may be. And I guess from the background that I am from, I can have an understanding and perspective to say, man, these guys are grinding 365 days of the year. I can have a little bit of you know understanding if they feel like they, they can't get to that shoot today or they're too tired to do X, Y or Z. Because it's like I compare it to if I'm in startup mode for my company 24-7 and the inception of it. Will I, would I want to go to an appearance? Would I want to film content? Probably not. I would say ultimately led to understanding for them and what I do at this point as well.
1: The, the story of crashing with Deshaun Watson as he prepares for the NFL draft is actually a really cool life-come-full-circle moment in your story because, flash-forward, when you're at Athletes First, you're working with athletes like Clay Matthews and Aaron Rodgers, but then also Deshaun Watson with Athletes First. So yeah. what, what kind of advice are you giving big-name profile high-end athletes about how to be an influencer.
0: Yeah, no, that's good. I mean, at that point of my career, I would say I was pretty ignorant to that because at that point, you know, athletes first, you're very much so cold. You're just, I'm cold calling everybody. We have like seven guys in, in the marketing department and we each are assigned a different market within, you know, the 32 league umbrella, 32 team league umbrella. You're just cold call on every single company within those delegated markets that are assigned to you. So at that point, it was really just to see what kind of deals you can get on behalf of these guys. Each of them had around their own fees that they expected uh, on behalf of services and deliverables they would provide on behalf of a brand. It was kind of that black and white, cut and dry. And I guess at that point... You really just learned how to put it all out there on behalf of your guys and again at that point i didn't really have an understanding of what value these guys really brought to brands and how to truly leverage them Um, because it was very much so a sales oriented gig but needless to say there was joy and passion in bringing these guys that i really cared about deals and extra verticals of revenue at that point
1: So I think that makes the next part of your story even that much more impressive, that you take something from going brand new into a theme. You even say yourself, I didn't know enough about being an influencer or how to help these people. And then you get into the trenches, you figure it out and you learn, and then you start your own company. So let's talk about kinship, because I think that's a big part of what makes your story so unique, is that you marry a passion into a career which seems particularly hard, because it's not like opportunities grow on trees. In sports, you can't just go start your own team. Where does the idea of kinship come from?
0: At Athletes First, to be honest, I became pretty bitter at how the market was ran within the NFL agency world. Again, these guys, it was very much so a sales job. It wasn't like a marketing role where we really knew how to leverage this talent to generate sales on behalf of a brand. It wasn't really looking out for the bottom line of the brand, but more so... The bottom line of the client. You know, we want to take care of our guys and make them money. And so I really wanted to find a place and space where it made sense for everyone. And to be able to do that, I had to really understand how to leverage this talent to make money for both parties where it made sense instead of doing one off deals and then, you know, parting ways with a brand because it didn't make that much money. I really wanted to come to an understanding of how to best do this and win within this market, was one. And then two, kind of goes back to my heart of, you know, helping out guys in that locker room at UCLA that weren't you know, that 1%, that top athlete that made it on to the NFL. Because within that NFL uh, roster, it's another, you know, stepping stone where only the top percent are the best athletes that get all the endorsement deals and the marketing opportunities and the extra, you know, dollars. And Athletes first, and this is how every, you know, NFL marketing agency works, and it makes sense, or anybody, honestly, with a roster that they do marketing on behalf of. The top five guys are the typical, you know, players that are the ones that get pitched because the people that are working there are incentivized to bring the deals to the top talent because that's who brings in the biggest dollar amount deals and so from that comes their compensation and their payment and they also want to take care of the biggest players at that point because they're incentivized to keep those guys on contract with their agency because their contracts bearing the most dollars so what i found and what i saw was the bottom like three fourths eighty percent of you know mark the rosters typically don't get taken care of very well um when in reality those are the guys that need to get taken care of the most before getting set up in the second phase of their life outside of football
1: What are some of the first days of kinship like? It has to be the most exciting and nerve-wracking experience, right? To go off on your own, to leave a major agency and start your own business.
0: Yeah. So actually from athletes first, I went to an agency. I had a short stint there, but I went to the way I really got involved in learning, you know, the, the value of influencer marketing was at an agency called common thread collective. And that was actually where Jordan Palmer to circle back again, to the guy that I met through my time with living with Mike and Sean, when they were training with him, he called, called me up. He was a partner at this digital marketing agency, Facebook marketing agency, and wanted to give me a job to run their influencer marketing apartment that they were building out. That was my first step before kinship. And there is where when it comes to Facebook marketing, I don't know if you know anything about the world of, you know, digital marketing on Facebook and Google and Amazon, but everything's attributable, man. There's nothing that is, you know, I hope this works. This is a great idea, but we'll see if it brings in revenue. No, no, no. On Facebook, you can see down to any metric you want to have visibility on it's available. When partnering with influencers or athletes at common Threat collective and using their content as, you know, ads on Facebook, I could see, you know, who would convert consumers, what type of their content really worked best. And so I came to a really good understanding of, you know, how to leverage these guys to make everybody the most profit and where everyone wins. Um, and I was able to work with guys, you know, that aren't as big as the Deshaun Watson in the world and see that wow, okay, these guys should be activated more with brands because they do bring in dollars, even if they are like the second string on the depth chart or third string or a practice squad player at that. at that, These guys all have stories to tell. And so I, I figured out a way to leverage these guys where everyone can make we could make a dollar and the brands are obviously any brand out there in the world would be happy to work with a professional athlete or even a division one athlete at that as this as that market begins to open up um, to represent their brand in a variety of ways. So after that I worked there for about six months. Uh, I was run right under working right under the managing partner there as kind of an entrepreneur apprentice, quote unquote, slash influencer marketing manager. And entrepreneur apprentice is definitely just a glorified term for kind of his assistant. But <laughs> within that space I got to learn the ins and outs of how to run a business. And then after 6 months of working there, he actually seeded um, startup money and co-partnered with me in launching Kinship with a couple
1: other guys. Thanks to everyone for following along. It's been an absolute blast to share hot coffee and cold beer with some of these incredible people. And the most common question we get is, how do you make your podcast? The answer is simple. It's the Anchor app. We came up with the idea for hot coffee, cold beer, and Anchor made it so incredibly easy to put the rest of the show together. If you're thinking about making your own podcast, we highly suggest you use Anchor, either anchor.com or by downloading the Anchor app. The world could certainly use more creative people putting content in the world, so why not do it on Anchor? Download the Anchor app or visit anchor.com. Now, back to the show. So this is a small world moment. Taylor, do you realize that you and I actually went to rival Los Angeles suburb high school? You went to Arcadia High School, correct? In Arcadia, California? Arcadia Apaches. Come on. It's a great day to be alive and being Apache. Was that your saying?
0: That was our saying, man.
1: Because ours, ours, Crescent Valley High School, was it's a great day to be a Falcon. There's not a whole lot of originality in these LA suburb high school slogans. No,
0: not at all. Not at all. It quickly changed to be. It quickly changed to a great day to be alive and be a Bruin. So I hear you. Even in UCLA, it was still the same. Yeah, like, we gotta yeah. get some new slogans out there, man.
1: Yeah, man. You got to stick to what you know, though. You can't break it. If you don't need to fix it. It's funny, right? Because in high school, you're kind of artificially created to hate this other school for no reason other than you just should. But now that you're an adult, it's kind of cool to see people win, right? Like especially in our small communities, like at least our part of the city has had some cool success stories where there's a, a singer named Tanache who went to our high school. Billy Eilish grew up in the town next over. And there's this girl from our high school, Kelsey Knapp, who went on to work for the Grammys. Like even though you're supposed to quote hate this team. They're supposed to be rivals. It's cool to see our little collective do well, right? Like it's inspiring.
0: Well, it's it's always great to see the Apaches do well. Just to make it very clear, of Valley and where Brock went is my rival in high school. And to see, you know, the people of of Valley to do well in this world, you know, it's great, but I don't know if it if it really gets me going, um to be quite
1: honest. It's always it's always good. Show me um, show me Arcadia High School's version of Tanache, and then we can talk. Okay. Oh
0: man, no, that's not where we thrive. We do have, you know, Olympic athletes in uh, ice skating and ping pong um, and a lot of good musicians. Our, our drum line was always really good in our band. To be honest, this is what was. Really funny back in high school, to give you a quick memory, man, I thought our crowds at Arcadia High School were just, they would be packed out to start the games. (laughs) And I was like, wow, people are really loving our football team and what it is we're doing. Our band would come on at halftime, play the show, and we'd come back out of our locker room and like three-fourths the crowd was gone. They came strictly for the band.
1: So funny. It's actually funny. My senior year of high school, we went to the CV at Arcadia basketball game. And I broke my nose in the CV student section during like a mosh pit. One of our players hit a three and we all went crazy. Somebody elbowed me in the nose. I broke my nose at the rival. This was your last senior player. year? This is my this senior, senior year. Man,
0: and that was at Arcadia. The floor would shake in that gym when we played you guys. It literally would shake. And so that was my sophomore year, I believe, when you were a senior. I still remember being on the, that floor every year. We played you guys at our house, even at your house. The basketball floor would be shaking on free throws when the crowd would just be going nuts. And I remember my junior year; I think you were gone at this point. We were losing. We didn't have the most fortunate career against you guys in basketball. I remember when going out in the fourth quarter and we were losing, and the game was already, you know, decided. But there was a little bit of time left. You guys started chanting "Taylor's crying." Boom, 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 boom. <laughs> just over and over again And I was like, man, these guys are ruthless I had to stand up and show them that there wasn't any tears Just to protect my manhood, but I loved it Why was C.V. Channing that you were crying? Oh, man, they were just sticking it to me, uh, just rubbing it in my face, but all good uh, loving of sports. You guys were being original. What was the typical things you guys say? Like, I don't know, like starting at the bus, you know, get your keys out, whatever it was. But you guys, you know, really stuck it to me in that moment.
1: Well, I guess my question is, like, why did we single you out in particular? Like, what was it about Taylor that we're like, we got to we got to make this guy's life a living hell?
0: Oh, I don't know, man. Probably just on the blogs or on the the online chats that I before talking trash. I probably deserved it. You know, high school stuff. High school stuff, man. I was active on the online chats. You know, anonymous slash Taylor Lagasse. (laughs) Whatever.
1: Taylor, do you think athletes have a significant advantage in the art of being an influencer? You know, I know kinship is a little bit more wide than just athletes. You'll help anybody that needs a social influence. Is is there something about being an athlete? Because if you think about it, they've got this built-in following likely from fans of whatever school they went to and now whatever team they went to. Is that a myth or is that a true narrative?
0: Yeah, I would say 100% they're set up to have you know more clout than the everyday individual. You know they're associated with one of the biggest conglomerates of the world, uh, being the NFL. These are guys that they're the modern day gladiators. They're the they're the person that everyone you know aspires to be as, as a kid. And you know there's a little bit of bias towards this, obviously, because it was my personal dream growing up. But I would say that people coming up typically dream about being an NFL player, a, a professional sports player, an actor, an entertainer. We're of these things that they are given a stage and they go and compete and put on a good show for the people so i would say that they have a built-in audience and you know and that's what you know by definition an influencer really is, is somebody that has clout over an audience and so by being associated with one of the 32 major teams in the world they already have that following given to them it's what they do with it at that point right and so there's so many different ways that they can take advantage of that platform Um, But it comes down
1: to how they activate themselves on that platform. What do you tell your athletes and clients about standing out in a digital age where there are so many fake influencers and people who are one thing in real life, but then appear to be something completely different on social media?
0: Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think the most overused word in this market that we're in is, you know, authenticity is key, but it's true at the end of the day, like it it is definitely overused and it's oversaturated. Being authentic to to who you are and putting out consistent content is the most important thing and making sure that content resonates with the audience that you really want to have clout over. So if it, like if you're on the NFL team, you know, within that market obviously put out football content as you know as long as that is your true passion that's what you want your platform to be about but i would also say make it unique to you you know if you're like some guy a guy that we do work with a lot at this point is jordan palmer we definitely you know he wants to put out content about his fatherhood he wants to put out content about things outside, you know, he wants to put out content about him training quarterbacks and investing in the youth. He always, that's what he embodies. That's what he's about. And so he wants to put out consistent content about those different verticals of life because ultimately he wants to partner with brands that are also about that. That's how I would recommend all people going about this influencer marketing and building out their personal brand. Don't only put out content about football, but Then also identify things that you're passionate about, that you see purpose in, and then go put out content about that as well and do it consistently because ultimately you'll draw in those brands and those products and services that will want to leverage you. And then it makes sense for everybody because that brand has a similar audience that you want to acquire into your community of followers as well. And it can, you can just help one another build and grow together. And so you're just tapping and building out from the ground up on everything that you stand for
1: if we dissect your story taylor the path to success has been fairly quick when you think about it you're only four or five years removed from being out of college and you've already started two companies you've worked for a major nfl agency you've been the head of a social influencing department for a company how do you think this path happened so quickly for you luck
0: i was very fortunate coming out of athletes first and being taken into common thread collective i think was one of the biggest moments of my life where fortune just had favor on me you know i was taken from a place that it was taking you know the passion out of it for me to be honest quite honest with you and that's perfectly all right but going into common thread the biggest thing i was passionate about was finding attribution was finding something i really believed in that I could get behind when doing marketing on behalf of athletes and influencers. And Facebook, man, what what a platform um, to be able to leverage and use, to be able to gauge. Because it gives you insights on, you know, the type of people that actually follow each of these athletes and these influencers. And when you know, understand and know the audience, as I'm sure everyone, you know, listening in knows, if you know your audience, you have a much better understanding of how to leverage, you know, the content you put in front of them. And then if you understand the audience and as well as can gauge The content that you put in front of them and how it performs when you, you know, put that content, the world is in your hands, you know, on how to leverage all this. You can learn from everything that you put out on a consistent basis. So I just became kind of addicted to it. The amount of attribution that was available to me through the metrics of every single activation that we executed was a dream come true and breathed life into the career that I wanted to pursue. And again, from Common Threat Collective and seeing that, you know, influencer marketing or athlete marketing when using their content and pushing it on behalf of brands as ads, we saw that they had the highest performing content in comparison to anything else that we were running, which obviously gave birth to kinship. I mean, that was a long-winded answer there, but I would say Common Thread Collective was one of the luckiest um, transitions in my career that I had. And it came from honestly being, uh, it, it's attributed to me being a UCLA football player, being friends with a quarterback that ultimately trained with Jordan Palmer and Jordan Palmer giving, giving me a shot to go run their their marketing department there for influencers. So I would say luck. Obviously you have to do the work to get to each of those steps.
1: What skills do you think you need to perform at an elite level as an influencer marketing management company? Like what are your top things that you have to focus on?
0: I would just say you have to have an understanding of how to communicate and articulate brands, products and services, their value adds into an audience the way that will resonate with that audience. So if I'm an influencer and I'm trying to, you know, get someone to buy Wilson footballs and I'm an athlete for the NFL, what is it about, you know, my content and what I could articulate to these people about Wilson to really make a conversion on behalf of the brand? And how would that content resonate with my audience? Having an understanding to how to leverage people into audiences on behalf of a brand, product or service is where you know, success is really had in my line of work. But I would say that's the most important thing one hundred percent. And then at the, in the same line of thought there, not only I'm so over indexed as you probably can hear and taking, you know, care of and making sure the brand and the product and service wins. In my line of work, I'm very much so tied to e-commerce, which is very tied to results and conversions. Again, at Athletes First, there was a lot of one-off deals, and that's not where relationships and long-term partnerships are built. I want it to be one in which everyone finds success and wins long-term relationships and quote-unquote kinship can be had, which is where kind of the name come from. Um, we're, we're here to create belonging so each story is celebrated. And that's a place of celebration within a long-term partnership.
1: Do you think those skills are possible to learn without being on the inside? Because one way to learn a good perspective of what's good for a brand, what's not good for a brand or connectivity is just one way to get a pulse of all that is to be doing it, is to be it had, yourself, living it.
0: Man, 100%. 100 percent. if you're interested in this realm do it yourself constantly you doing this podcast in itself like you're in this line of work you're an influencer brock whether you identify one as or not you have a built-in audience and it's growing and you're speaking to them about a particular subject within a niche and so you're doing it and i would recommend anybody and everybody to do it it's your personal canvas and make of it what you're able to, and the more you can consistently put out content, the better. And that's the more you're going to be able to gauge and test and see what's working with what you're putting out.
1: Yeah. That makes me feel good. Me and Tinashe are both influencers. I like it.
0: Hey, you more than her. Come on.
1: I don't build. know. I don't know, man. That girl is talented. I don't think I even step on the same grounds that she does.
0: You're, yeah. You're putting together a very good conversation here, so let's <laughs> sell yourself short.
1: Tinashe, hit a guy up. Let's collab. Come on we have touched on this a little bit just kind of virtue of your story but one thing we ask everybody who comes on the show is about their why why do you do what you do specifically what is it about your purpose and motivation that drives you to do exactly what you're doing over anything in the world and you've touched on that a little bit about giving back to the people that need it more than the people that don't and that's kind of started it's essentially the mission statement behind a kinship other than that taylor what is your why in life
0: I mean, I, I love the slogan of kinship and the mission statement of, of kinship, which is create belonging so that each story is celebrated. And you've heard me, Harbaugh, you know, various stories that have contributed to that why. You know, whether it was that guy in the locker room that wasn't necessarily going to make it and had all his eggs in this football basket that could use, you know, some extra love and. Um, with partnering up in brains or whatever it may be. I would just say my why is exactly that. You know, whether it is pertaining to, you know, work and what it is I'm doing on a day-to-day basis, it is just celebrating people. Everyone has that story to tell and there is belonging for them. Celebrating that, identifying who they are and extracting the most out of them as individuals is what I live and breathe for 100% and celebrating exactly who they are.
1: In a minute here we're going to get to some personal questions. I have a general question about social media influence for you. Can can you explain to to our viewers what the difference between a micro influencer and a macro influencer is?
0: Yeah, of course. That's typically a question we get within our uh, initial calls with with brands. I think there's numerous definitions that people have, but I think we can all come to an agreement that a micro influencer, you know, the way we again identify as someone with ten thousand to a hundred thousand followers on any given social media platform, and to like a mid tier, which is like a hundred thousand followers to let's say two hundred and fifty to five hundred thousand, and then a macro is anybody that has above five hundred thousand followers or somebody that. Is- just really big time within the space right you know like nascar drivers per se you know may not have that big of a following on social media platforms but they very well could be a macro influencer within that space typically one of those uh, definitions fits the bill what i will say is we definitely think there is a greater power in leveraging micro-influencers currently, I'll say currently, within the landscape of influencer marketing.
1: Is it just about followers? Is it just about those numbers? Because you see some of the micro-influencer traits on something like Kevin Flynn and White People Humor, even though they have 4.4 million followers, they still do a lot of the interactive and, and actual engagement pieces that someone like the Dark White Knight a meme page with 100,000 followers would do. 100%. Is it yeah. always that black and white? or it- I just think it's,
0: it's more so a definition For the marketplace, you know, that's just how we define those tiers. It is 100% by following. Now, my agency doesn't even look at follower count hardly ever. I think the only need to look at follower count is just to come to an understanding or estimate of what they probably price themselves out at. And I also think that's probably wrongfully so within the marketplace. Because a lot of the time, like I'm saying, these people with really high followings, their engagement, you know, isn't that great? Who knows if their following is actually for real? Like There are tools and we have one that can assess if their following is authentic and real, or is it consisted of bots per se. But again, I think it just comes down to the influencers with high followings have been spoken into or they're represented by agencies that kind of serve as gatekeepers to working with them with a fixed dollar amount price point that is typically inflated for the real value that is provided.
1: Such a fascinating world, man. Who would have known that just a place to put your food photos would turn into such a business like the future (laughs) is now Taylor. I
0: definitely follow a good amount of those food photos now that I'm uh, not an athlete anymore, accounts, and probably eat a little bit too much.
1: (laughs) So here's what we're going to do now. There's been some amazing information given through this. I think your story is fascinating and your multiple whys and the layers behind that are just really different than anything we've seen on this show so far. So now what we want to do is we want to get to know you a little bit. So we're going to give you some personal questions, quick hitters. Just give us first answer, authentic, off the cuff, first thing that comes to your mind whenever you're ready. we'll, We'll get started here.
0: All right, that's what I've been giving you this whole time,
1: man. All right, Taylor LeGacy, quick hitters, here we go. If you could choose any NFL team to be drafted on right now, who would it be?
0: Vikings, 100%. Anthony Barr and Eric Kendricks.
1: Who is your favorite female athlete of all time?
0: Candace Parker, Lisa Leslie.
1: Give us your Mount Rushmore of former UCLA teammates.
0: I mean, these guys are really good. Anthony Barr, Eric Kendricks, Kenny Clark, Josh Rosen, Miles Jack.
1: What do we think about the NFL future of Josh Rosen?
0: I have high hopes for a man. I think it just comes down to the team, um, the coaching staff, and really the offensive line that is is surrounding him. The guy is a talented athlete. He has a mind that is one of the brightest minds I've ever encountered. um, And he is one of the most competitive guys I've ever met. I mean, we both loved and had a passion for ping pong, and those games, man, we'd go all day sweating it out.
1: We keep alluding to your time as a UCLA football captain. What I wanna do next is ask you a few questions about the UCLA experience. So these next few questions are all guided to be some kind of UCLA themed question. What is the best restaurant on campus?
0: Man, I was a big breakfast diner. So we had a place called Headlines that we'd always go to that I absolutely loved. I'm a sucker for just kind of, you go up, you dine at the counter, they cook
1: up your breakfast right in front of you and serve it to you. And I, I loved that experience teammates which bruins frat or sorority threw the best parties so i
0: actually was a part of sae and so i'll
1: probably say uh, that sae did <laughs> my my dad was sigma alpha epsilon so yeah my <laughs> alpha what is one stereotype about the school that you think is bullshit?
0: let's hear a stereotype of the school and then, and then i'll say if it's bs or not
1: they say the lack of personality of ucla like personality happens at usc well, I'll is let that- you be the—I'll let you be the judge of that, man. I think I have a lot more personality than any given Trojan. What is one stereotype about the school that you think is pretty accurate?
0: We're all pretty bright guys.
1: No, <laughs> <I'm> just kidding, <laughs> I'm kidding.
0: Oh man, we're in the midst of Bel Air, Beverly Hills, and the West Side of LA, and I would say we're all
1: not—you know—rich kids, I guess. Especially
0: you know my experience on the football team. Um, everyone definitely doesn't come from wealth and privilege.
1: Another rare feat for you is that you got to play your entire collegiate career for one head coach, no turnover. What are some of your favorite Jim Mora-isms?
0: Yeah, Jim Mora was the man. I think that UCLA got rid of him a little bit too early. I mean, I don't think people understand that. He was the five year, in five years, over the course of five years, he was the winningest coach in UCLA history. And I felt like he had one to two years where things started to go on the decline and he wasn't able to achieve a a national championship or a Pac-12 championship. But I felt like they got rid of him a little too early, but um, that to say on Jim Mora, you know, the ultimate players coach, he really had your back and looked out for your best interest. And to be honest, like I try to emulate the way that he tries to take care of his guys, regardless of who you are. Like I said, I wasn't a guy that was going to play in the NFL, but he tried to serve up every opportunity that I could possibly imagine or want. For example, I mean, we didn't even harp on this at all, but going out of college, I tried to go work for the NFL in New York. Um, and he teed me up and set up a meeting with the COO of the NFL uh, at that time to start working in the junior rotational program over there. And so that and even at AEG, I forgot, but I was set up with somebody that was a senior uh, vice president of partnerships over there, I'm forgetting his name and slipping my mind. But he just had relationships that he was willing to give you and tee you up for because he wanted to see you succeed I mean, he was going to do everything he could in his power to help you out. I really appreciated my relationship with him. And I know all my other teammates did as well.
1: What is the best visiting college football stadium that you 've ever played in
0: Nebraska, Barnum? That place was incredible. This was actually after uh, one of our teammates had passed away. he was my roommate, uh, Nick Pasquale, my sophomore year, and so we were definitely emotionally charged and we went into uh, Lincoln, Nebraska and played uh, against the corn Huskers their, their stadium man, just absolute class. I think it was like the 11th year in a row where they had sold out their stadium, like in a row at a home game. It was just absurd. So the place was packed. They had the rafters on top of the stadium. So it was so loud keeping the noise in, but they were a class act in the way that a lot of them wore yellow and blue to the game and released balloons, uh, in honor of their fallen teammate. So it was just a surreal experience. We were down by 20 at halftime. We came back and won in the second half. Um, And it was just, it was one of the most memorable games of my life.
1: What were some of your UCLA game day traditions?
0: I'm playing catch uh, with my guy, Colby Cyber, my best friend from college. We'd just go up and down the field playing catch, running like hooligans, but of course being serious. And then also I was really had tight Hips, and I would always get stretched out uh, and worked on by Coach Sal Losey, who I had a really good uh, relationship with as well, who was the head strength conditioning coach there, and then just getting you know rowdy with my guys, but obviously maintaining and remaining focused with the job at hand.
1: And the last one we have for you on UCLA, what is the best moment of your UCLA athletic career?
0: Man, this is where you see how much talent I have right here. So I'll give you my worst and my best. The worst at fullback, man, I got, they finally gave me a play to do. We were playing against ASU and my number was called to, you know, it was when Brett Hundley was the quarterback. And basically he had the option. He could pass it off to me and give me a handoff or he could fake the handoff and then run it. So we we ran this play twice. The first time we ran it, He faked it to me. I'm like, dang, come on, break me the ball. (laughs) And then he ran it for a touchdown. And then the second time they called it within the same game, he actually gave me the ball. And I'm like, oh my God, he gave me the ball. I started running and I saw a guy and I tried to be like Reggie Bush in the moment and cut back. But little did I know, did I not have the athletic ability at all, especially at that level. Got popped two yards back and uh, I had my first carry for uh, a loss of yards of two. So that's uh, my claim to fame and getting the ball on offense. But best moment, I would say, was recovering a punt that was fumbled by USC when we were down, I think by seven points. And then after recovering that fumble, we really built on that, uh, scored a touchdown there, and the rest was history, won that game. So I would say that was probably a peak moment.
1: All right, we got a couple more here for you. If you were on ABC Shark Tank, which shark would you take a deal with?
0: I just got to say Mark Cuban, come on.
1: Being a business partner previously with Diddy's son, do you have any crazy P. Diddy stories you can share with us?
0: Uh, I mean, if you guys don't know about this one was public, so I feel fine sharing it. When him and Coach Alosi got into it and got mixed up, P. Diddy paid Coach Alosi a visit in our in our training facilities one day, and they had a little scrap. That was a pretty big highlight during our UCLA tenure that, that was pretty interesting and fun.
1: And the last one we have for you, where will we see kinship in the next two to three years?
0: Hopefully as a company and brand that is continuing to build, continue to service people well, and we just wanna be a place again where belonging is made and we wanna do that on behalf of as many people as possible. So hopefully in a couple, two to three years, you'll see a lot of stories being celebrated and much more that are today. But again, I'm happy with where we're at and you know the pace that we're building. And, I, and I'm confident that in two to three years, we'll be you know sharing some exciting stories.
1: Well, we appreciate you coming on and sharing your story with, with us here. There's some amazing perspective in here, and I think it was really valuable for our listeners to, to hear about what it's like to do social influencing because that's a universal theme beyond athletes. It's whatever you're doing in your life. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing your wisdom, and we couldn't be more appreciative that you'd spend you know, an hour with us.
0: Yeah, Brock, I appreciate you having me. Who would have thought that Falcon and Apache could come together in this way?
1: You know, if if a CV Falcon and an Arcadia Apache can come together, why can't we all come together? You know? Amen. Amen. Today's episode of Hot Coffee Cold Beer is independently produced by Brock L. Hendricks. The content you heard today does not reflect the opinion or views of AEG, Staples Center, the Los Angeles Lakers, Clippers, Kings or Sparks, or any of its affiliates, subsidiaries and partners.